Welcome to the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Nicole Hagen, a nutrition coach, entrepreneur, food freedom expert, and forever a recovering disordered eater. I am here to help you own your enoughness, find your very own food freedom, and achieve your health and wellness goals in a way that gives more than it takes. Each week, I will provide you with insight and inspiration surrounding no-nonsense nutrition, mindset, motivation, body image, confidence, and other wellness wisdom. Welcome back to another episode of the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom podcast. Today, we are honored to be talking with Alex. Alex is a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and a virtual nutrition coach. And Alex and I became fast friends because she believes that unsustainable diets and exercise regimens are what keep us stuck in the weight loss and weight gain cycle. Through science-based nutrition education and mindful eating, Alex has found the key to having it all. And she wants you to know that it's possible to eat delicious food, drink cocktails, exercise because you enjoy it, and live in a body that you're proud of. Alex, welcome to the show. We are so glad to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Can you tell everyone listening a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your story? What initially sparked your interest in nutrition? Sure. Yes. So I am a registered dietitian and nutrition coach, and I work with clients to help them develop a healthier relationship to food first and foremost, while also simultaneously working on other potentially aesthetic goals, weight loss goals, body composition goals. Um, And I believe for many people, it can be done at the same time. So I work with clients to understand their nutrition needs a little bit better while never prioritizing weight loss over quality of life and mental health. And the reason why I'm so passionate about that is because I've had my own history with disordered eating and weight loss, unsustainable weight loss, crazy low calorie diets. And so of course I have a passion to kind of keep people from that same fate and also help people know that there is a way out. So to take you back, when I first started struggling with my weight, I was in probably middle school. I I remember that being when I was first aware of my weight and I was not very overweight, but I was, you know, on the growth chart, always sort of at the higher end. And that was something that I remember, okay, the doctor kind of gives you a warning, the pediatrician, like you're at the end, you're at the higher end of the growth chart. It's okay now, but if it continues, it's going to be a problem. You should eat more vegetables. And I was like, I don't like vegetables. So I'm not going to do that. And it sort of just made me angry. It didn't necessarily inspire me. Um, I also was like relatively sedentary as a kid. I grew up in Brooklyn and there wasn't really team sports. And then we moved out to the suburbs and my mom didn't really know what to do with me. So she threw me in like ballet, which was one of the worst things looking back that she could do. So I, I was dancing, but I was also exposed to girls who were in much smaller bodies than I was. And I was constantly comparing myself to them. And I remember like the anxiety of being in a leotard and not being happy in my body and just like looking at myself in the mirror, thinking about how I could not look like that anymore. And then pressure from 
dance teachers who were, you know, tell you that in order to be successful, you need to lose weight because the girls in the company or the girls on point are smaller than you. So that message was there. And then it was also like, I, I was born in the early nineties and it was like the Kate Moss and Nicole Richie and like the bobblehead era of what bodies looked like. It was, we weren't celebrating diverse bodies at that time. Oh, Mary Kate and Ashley, they were like my body goals at the time. Um, and then there was like live journal and Tumblr and this whole era of just like inspiration, finspo was what it was called. And I got totally sucked up in that. And I don't, and I remember I was standing in a dressing room with my mom and she, I tried something on and she was like, it looks good, but what about getting the next size just in case you grow out of it? And to me that hit, it was a major trigger for me. And that to me was her saying like, you're just going to keep gaining weight. So why, why not buy the next size? And I just, that day I was like, I am not, that's it. I'm losing weight. I'm not staying like this anymore. I am just going to not eat. And that, because that was all I knew that made sense to me. If I eat less, I'm going to lose weight. And, and so I tried that and I couldn't do it. Um, so I would keep trying to eat less and less. And eventually I started losing weight and I started getting compliments and that feedback and the momentum of seeing the scale drop led to me losing too much weight and then being in a place where I was really scared of food. So at that point, I luckily I had like great parents and friends and they were like, okay, you are hurting yourself. You have to do something. So for me, it wasn't, and for anyone who struggles with their weight, it's not so easy as just like eat this or do that and you'll be better. I was really, really scared of food because to me, it meant food meant weight, gaining weight and gaining weight was bad. And I didn't want to be back there. So it took a long time. And I, I like, you know, of course, as, as we said in the podcast that we recorded, skipping certain parts, but I think what, what I discovered, um, actually Lane Norton, who is still around on the internet, um, but back in like the probably like early two thousands, I discovered him on YouTube and he was talking about how like macros and I didn't know what macros were. I just knew that I didn't eat very much at all. Um, and he, he mostly worked with bodybuilders, but to me, I was seeing these people who were able to kind of control their intake in a way that felt safe to me. So again, probably disordered my motivation at the time, but it was something that helped me out of a really dark place. So I started looking at protein and fat and carbs and realizing that I could eat more. And I guess I slowly started kind of like reverse dieting on my own because it felt like if I could slowly add calories back in, then I can control this process. Again, not the best motivation at the time, but I did see how that worked. And as I increased my food intake, my brain started to heal. And that was what allowed me to see what was going on. And I couldn't have like kind of gotten there without trusting the process. And he was just someone at the time that resonated with me. So as I got to a healthier weight, everything in my head started to get a little bit better too. And I started 
reconnecting with my love for food and cooking and fitness. And I put on healthy weight and, you know, it was a long process. There was therapy involved and uh, lots of work, but that was really where I first kind of met the whole concept of calories and macronutrients and, and how nutrition can really play a role in it. So that's what brings me here today in a nutshell. <laughs> I love that you sort of led us into this macro conversation because I want to talk about that. But before we do, I have to tell you, your Tumblr reference just gave me like serious flashbacks. Yeah. Obviously, I grew up in the same generation that you did. And I remember having like all this fitspo on my account and just seeing like emaciated girls mm-hmm. on my basically like my for you page, whatever you called it back then. And I remember people bragging about like, all I ate today was like 17 blueberries. And like, that was something to aspire towards and so disordered, so unhealthy, but it just goes to show that like, that's not that it still isn't, but it was so much more idolized, I think Mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. So talking about macros, you mentioned the motivation behind your behavior perhaps wasn't the healthiest when you first were introduced to macronutrients. And what I see on social media, especially is kind of this dichotomy of like macros are bad and tracking them is, is disordered and unhealthy or macros is the only way to do mm-hmm. anything like losing weight and getting healthy. And if you're not tracking everything, you're just lazy. Where do you stand on that spectrum with your clients? Do you encourage tracking macros and calories? Do you discourage it? What's your opinion? Yeah. So I think because of my lived experience, I have more of a nuanced view of how how macro counting or tracking can be used in an, in certain settings. So for me at the time, yes, my motivation for tracking macros was still so I can control everything that was going into my body and I can have this controlled outcome. If I put this in, I get this out. So, you know, why I grasped onto it and why you see a lot of disorder in the like macro counting community is because of that. But at the same time, it allowed me to get to a place where I I could see what food was doing. Also, once I got out of that place, I realized that this is not something that I personally want to do forever. There are people who count macros for their whole life, or they don't necessarily feel comfortable living without a tracking app. But for me, that Michael, not in, in the beginning when I set out, I had no end goal. Once I got into a healthier headspace, and and I should say, like when I started college, I was a, a media culture communications major, wanting to work in fashion journalism, and then mid-college, I pivoted to nutrition once I realized it was a viable career. Once I started learning the science of nutrition, a lot changed for me. And I realized that there was so much that I didn't know, even though I thought like, look, I lost all this weight. I manipulated my body. I'm an expert. But no, there was so much that I didn't know. But I knew all the crazy stuff. Like I knew about supplements and I knew about raspberry ketones or whatever was the fat at the time, but like, I didn't know how much protein I needed. So to me, it was like the most basic thing that if once I understood that it made everything else easier. So for my clients, I think whether you're tracking macros or not, having a general awareness benefits most people. And I, so earlier in my career, I worked with eating disorders. I still work with women in recovery, but not in an active eating disorder because I am not doing that work right now. But when I did, there's, 
very much one way of going through recovery when insurance is covering it. And so the, a lot of these young women and men were kind of like in a very disordered place and then just not necessarily handed the education because they, they almost, it almost felt like they couldn't be trusted with it. But what I was seeing was many of them had the education because they are obsessed with food. They're researching everything. And those that understood their nutrition needs better were had an easier time recovering. So I even saw like on that extreme, of course, they could use it and manipulate it, but they can also use it to help them feel safer in their bodies. So when I now, when I work with clients, I have clients who typically most of my clients have been dieting for a very long time and have many of them have a very toxic relationship to food and they have tons of rules, but they have no idea how to build a salad with enough protein, fat, and carbs. So in the beginning, it can be really helpful for us to reestablish their macronutrient needs, even if they're not tracking them. Um, and to help them at least like go meal by meal and break down what what a you know 500 calorie lunch looks like, let's say, and how much protein that should be. They can do that without tracking their whole day. Now, I do have some clients track maybe for a few weeks when we start because they're still learning. They, they look at a plate and they have no idea how much protein, fat, or carbs are there. So we use it for education. But again, in a one-on-one setting, I can kind of keep them from getting too carried away with it. And and that's also part of the difference. The other difference is I don't ever say, this is the number you have to hit to be successful. We're using it to gather data, to understand what they're eating, and to then maybe have a target. Like, okay, here's a good amount of protein per day. If you're Getting half of that some days, that's fine. But how do you feel when you hit your protein goals? I feel better. Great. So we know, you know, I try, I try to be mindful of hitting that. It's a best practice. It's not a dead set rule that if I don't hit it, I am now going to spiral into self-hatred. And that's the difference. It's like, can you use it to guide you and not a crutch? I like that. So it's less about a rule, which most people have abused coming from decades potentially of diet history, but more of a mindful guideline that you're empowering the client to say, Hey, does this feel great? When you reach this goal, do you feel better when you're getting enough protein? It's, it's like that expression, knowledge is power. So mm-hmm. they're now aware of how much their body might need. But I always tell my clients, your body is our best feedback mechanism. So I don't care what any yes. research study says, like if you're not feeling great, then we need to reevaluate. And it sounds like you have a similar philosophy. Absolutely. And there's no one, I mean, like the research is, is wide. There's no one right macronutrient ratio for everyone. You know, people will tell me, I feel great when I eat high fat. I'm like, okay, I I personally rather eat some more carbs, but if we play around with it and you truly feel your best that way, then that is fine. But let's use this to experiment. Um, And It's just for me and the way my brain works, it's helpful to have data. And it tends, when I explain that way, that method to my clients, it tends to resonate more. Mm -hmm. And then what we do, if if we are tracking calories and macros, typically we really start with like a layered approach where first we look at calories, then we start to look at protein, and then we add fiber in. And I explain to them that 
if you're getting like a general calorie goal, you're getting like the minimum protein that we kind of want to hit, and you're getting 25 grams of fiber from fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, then you have a pretty good diet. You don't have to worry about, you know, the canola oil in your dressing. So it starts to like help them relax a little to see like we're optimizing the big components of our diet. We're getting the vitamins and minerals, we're getting variety. And then I can relax about all of the other little things in between. I find that it's really helpful for clients too, Alex, I'm sure you see this, but to focus on what they need more of and what they can add into their diet. Because if they've been dieting, it's usually about what you need to cut out or eliminate or restrict. And so just flipping that and focusing more on like, oh, what do I get to nourish my body with more? It's a really rewarding like psych difference for them to feel. Absolutely. And then again, they have a basis of comparison when you're, you're guiding them to feel like, how does it feel to eat a lunch that's nourishing? How does it feel to eat a lunch that's maybe not enough for you? That in, you kind of need that, you do need that component too. That's where the mindfulness comes in. Because if you don't have that, then you are reliant on these apps or the numbers forever. So if we can start to feel what it feels like in our bodies to feel full, to feel satisfied, which is not just about the amount of food, it's also about the flavors and the environment, then once we're ready, we can not use the app and use our internal cues. But it's when you've been dieting for so long, we don't always have those internal, we have the internal cues, we don't know how to access them or interpret them. So true. I love this. We agree on a a lot of fronts, which is not a surprise to me, (laughs) but I would love to dive into fat loss specifically. So you mentioned when you kind of told us a little bit about the work that you do, that you help your clients to reach aesthetic or body composition goals. But from your story and everyone listening likely knows my story, there are clearly times in someone's journey where fat loss is not an appropriate goal or even a health promoting goal. How do you help your clients to recognize whether fat loss is an appropriate goal for them to pursue or whether there might need to be some underlying work done first? Or I know you said sometimes both can happen simultaneously, but can you give us a little background on when fat loss is and isn't an appropriate goal for a client? Totally. Yeah, it's it's hard and it, it does take if you are interpreting this for yourself, it does take some self-awareness to understand, like, I want to lose weight, but I can't healthfully do that at this time, maybe forever, maybe for right now. So I do think that like, just because you struggled with disordered eating or an eating disorder at one point doesn't mean that 25 years from now, you can never look at a number again. I personally don't believe that. But I think it has to be, a, it's a very delicate balance. So the, for the when I start with any potential client, we're going to have some kind of screening that we do. And, and that's just a conversation. And the questions that I ask are things that you can kind of ask yourself. But number one, like the, how important is the number on the scale to you? And how does it dictate your day, your feelings, your emotions? How tied to it are you? And I have some clients that will say, or potential clients will say, if I gain weight on the scale, I won't eat this today, or I will be in a a very negative headspace that day. I have other clients who say, yeah, if the scale doesn't move, but I feel better, I'm still going to feel really good about the outcome of this process. 
Those are two different things. So like how tied to the scale are you? It's okay to want to lose weight and it's normal in this society, but how big of a presence in your life is that? So that's the first thing. Um, then on a very basic level is like, where are you height for weight right now? So there's a lot of stuff about how BMI is useless and it is a very unhelpful tool in many ways. But on a very basic level, if you are very far below a BMI in the normal range or you're right on the cusp, we can use that to kind of rule out whether weight loss is an appropriate goal. So these charts, and we have like the Hamley method, which is like height for weight, ideal body weight. It's so antiquated, but we can use that to get like a very baseline. If you're falling into these ranges, which are already too low, then you probably don't really have weight to lose appropriately. So that doesn't mean we can't set another goal. I think most people can benefit from optimizing their nutrition, whether weight loss is a goal or not. But if you're already at the low end of what could be a healthy weight for you, then we have to reevaluate that. Or if you're trying to get to like that last five pounds, usually that's not really the, the client that will benefit from my type of coaching because we're my my goal for my clients is to get to a weight that you feel good most of the time in your clothes. Um, sometimes we don't feel great, but that you also are living a life that you could do the things that you want to do. And that's different for all of us. For me, that means being able to go on vacation and not count macros. That means um, being able to go out for drinks with my husband if I want, being able to have like more birthday cake than I physically need sometimes. And I know that weight is maybe higher than I would have wanted in the past. So where's that middle ground? Um, and then someone who's like very, very tied to tracking, um, weight loss might still be okay, but the work that we have to do first is to help them get back in, in touch with their hunger cues. And then we could sometimes come back. And with that, I would say like the last thing is what are, what does your current diet look like now? How much are you eating? Are you under eating? If you're already under eating and your weight's not going where you want it to go, then focusing on calorie reduction is not going to be our first step. So I love that you specified those points. Actually, the last one is one that I think surprises a lot of people. And unfortunately, is where a lot of women are. I just spoke with a client the other day. She's been working with me for probably six months at this point. And we just took her into a fat loss phase because when she initially came to me, she was eating so little, like very, very little and still wanted to lose body fat. And we had to have that hard conversation surrounding, this is not something I can help you with. Like you literally have nothing left to take away. So we have to get you to this nourishing place first where we're giving your body enough. We're working your calories back up. And then one day, potentially assuming how you feel, we can then dip back into a fat loss phase. And that was something that kind of blew her mind because she's just doing what diet culture told her to do, right? Eat less, exercise more, and do that perpetually until you reach your goal. But obviously nutrition is a lot more complex and like you said, nuanced than that. So thanks for specifying all that, Alex. One thing I really want to pick your brain about. I posted a couple of polls on my Instagram stories recently and then left a question box and asked my audience, okay, 
fat loss? What's still confusing? What do you not understand? What can I help to clarify for you? And I was so surprised genuinely by the number of women who said something about hormones, like tell me about how hormones prohibit fat loss or tell me how hormones interact with fat loss. And I was like, wow, we really need to talk about this because clearly it's something that is popping up for a lot of women. So I know you have a couple of posts on Instagram about hormones. Can you tell us how hormones and fat loss play together? Yes. Love this topic. It's I think it's getting more attention now because there's sort of a rise in marketing the use of hormones to manage weight. So I recently did a post on these continuous glucose monitors that are kind of becoming popular where people are wearing um, like a type 1 diabetes sensor on their arms to track their blood sugar through the day. On the surface, this can be a helpful tool to understand what foods spike your blood sugar, what foods keep it more stable. What's happening and the way it's been marketed is that if we can control our insulin levels, we can control our weight. So now there's like this hyper-focus on insulin and insulin is a hormone. It is involved in blood sugar management. So in a healthy person, your insulin works on its own. When you eat carbohydrates, your the carbohydrates are broken down into sugar or glucose. It enters your bloodstream and your pancreas basically sends out insulin to come pick it up and bring it to the cells. When you have type 1 diabetes, think about it like broken pancreas disease. Your pancreas does not send out that insulin. So no one's coming out to pick that sugar up. So what happens is that you need to go on exogenous insulin in order to bring that the sugar into the cells where it can be used. Now, people start to misconstrue the way that insulin works because insulin is known as a fat storage hormone because basically what it's doing, if it's coming to pick up the glucose in the blood and bringing it to the cells, then the, then it, it's, it can, if you're eating in excess, that sugar can be stored as fat. So if we didn't have insulin, then would we not store fat? On a very basic level, yes, but then you would die. So that's not really a good approach. Um, but we hear fat storage hormone and we hear insulin, fat storage hormone, bad. We don't want insulin when really it is a mechanism that keeps us alive. So I think one thing is that there's a misunderstanding of insulin. And with, with ketogenic diets and low-carb diets being as popular as they are right now, people will say that the reason why these things work for fat loss is because you're keeping your insulin levels low. When really, we know that you could keep your insulin levels low, as low as you want, but if you're eating too many calories, you cannot lose weight. So I always ask, does this work independent of calories? Will this work for fat loss independent of calories? The answer is always no, because it's thermogenesis, it's physics. You need to be in a calorie deficit to lose weight. Now, what a calorie deficit is for you is absolutely impacted by hormones. So we can control all we want, what we put in our body. And let's say, I'm going to throw out, like, let's say for you, we decided that for you, your 
calorie deficit is 1600 calories. And you, for four weeks straight, you eat 1600 calories, no more than that. You hyper control it and you don't lose a pound. Is it your hormones? Is it that there's something else wrong? Well, there are a few things. Number one, it's very hard to be perfectly accurate with tracking calories. So it's you're potentially eating more than that. But there's potentially something wrong with the equation. So maybe there's something on the calories out part of the equation that we're missing. And that's one of them can be hormone related. So the the base the main hormones that are going to be involved in fat loss are going to be insulin and with that glucagon, leptin, ghrelin, and cortisol. Those are the big ones. Um, and then there, of course, like there's cholecystokinin. There's so many hormones and they all talk to each other. They all interact. So like if there's something wrong with one of these things, it throws something else off. But typically that's what we're thinking. And then I should also say a whole separate category is perimenopause and menopause for women as they're going through, as they're aging, your hormones can definitely play a role. Um, someone who I really love, I don't know if you've had her on your podcast, but Amanda Thebe on Instagram, she wrote a book called Menopocalypse. And she talked about just all of the, ca the cascade of things that can happen. So I will say, you know, there's nuances there. If you are, even if you're in your mid to late thirties and you're like, there's no way I'm going through menopause. Women start perimenopause at that age at times, and there can be things. So I don't want to say it's not your hormones. You're just eating too much. Of course not. There are so many nuances, but for many people, there isn't something wrong with your hormones. If you're getting your blood checked and your, your insulin, your blood sugar looks good and everything looks good. There probably isn't something wrong now. I should say there's thyroid hormone. Here's another hormone that could turn around. It, I, mean, I say it's sad and terrible and relatable that at some point, so many of us kind of wish something was wrong with our thyroid to explain. Like there were times where I'm like, maybe my thyroid's broken, which is why would I want that? Because it would explain why I couldn't lose weight. That's how much of a whole diet culture has on us that we're like wanting to be to have something wrong with us. Now, people do have a thyroid disorders. Um, hypothyroid is when your thyroid is too slow. Hyperthyroid's when it's too fast. And then Hashimoto's is a type of hypothyroid disease, which is also an autoimmune disease. So that's another one that's kind of like bastardized on the internet. And a lot of people kind of prey on people with Hashimoto's there is a very little research on um, therapeutic diets for Hashimoto's. Some people, some people can benefit from a gluten-free diet with Hashimoto's. Again, it's an autoimmune condition. What's happening is your body is sensing something like gluten as an invader and attacking it. And then there's a whole cascade of uh, inflammation, another really popular marketing term. You know, this is inflammatory. This is anti-inflammatory. But most of us don't have these things. And if you get your blood work, your doctor is going to tell you if you do, unless you don't have a very good doctor, it's always worth getting a second opinion. But, you know, for the most part, if you're getting blood work and everything is good, your, your hormones are 
probably okay. Now, those are the things like those are the main things that can be off. Um, and, and that's usually what it is. So like your thyroid being slow, insulin resistance, which can also come along with PCOS or diabetes. Um, and then, you know, hunger hormones can absolutely be impacted by weight loss. So if you're a yo-yo dieter, you don't want to discredit that your hunger hormones can be, can be off. But again, the, the fix for that is not restriction. It's, it's nourishing your body. Um, and then cortisol, like stress again, the fix for that is not restriction. That's causing more stress on the body. Um, so where, what we do in those cases, if we're like, you are someone we've ruled out that you have given this enough time. Cause also two weeks is not enough time. Four weeks is even not enough time. You've you're for sure eating what you think you're eating. You're for sure exercising the amount that you think you're sleeping, you're drinking water, you're doing all that and nothing is moving. 100% recommend getting blood work done. Um, and if your doctor is not willing to do it, go to another doctor. There are crappy doctors out there. My husband's a doctor and he's the first to admit, but not all doctors are bad. Um, but yes, you know, sometimes they don't listen to you. So that is valid. But we don't all have hormonal issues and we don't want them if we don't need to have them. Of course, there are fixes. We can take medication. They're not, you know, if you need to take thyroid hormone, there's amazing options, but let's not hope for something to be wrong with us. I think, and just to clarify, when you said hunger hormones, those were the two that you mentioned earlier, leptin and ghrelin. So just to bring us full circle, I know some people may not have heard those terms before, Um, but I think takeaways are first and foremost, it's almost an out that diet culture presents to us. Like, oh, maybe you're just not losing weight because there's something wrong with you hormonally. And you're saying most of the time, that's probably not the case. And we shouldn't wish for it to be the case. We should wish to have healthy hormones and, and simply maybe be struggling with compliance or the accuracy of our logging. Mm-hmm. Also, I think an important takeaway is if there does happen to be something going on like perimenopause or many menopause or hypothyroidism, it's also not like doom and gloom. Like there are fixes for these types of things and you can still lose weight, albeit it may be slightly slower or more complicated. It is still possible because the laws of thermodynamics still come into play. Is that an accurate summary? Absolutely. Yes. So these things can make it so that it looks on paper, like I should be able to lose weight at 1600 calories. But if my hormones are off, then maybe I have to go to 1400 calories to lose weight. Now, as at a certain point, I would not recommend cutting to below a certain point. That's going to be different for everyone. So I'm not going to give like a blanket number, but it, it feels like, and I've had clients like this where I don't know what's going on. I don't understand how this, how this person cannot be losing weight, even though they're at the number they are, but I'm not comfortable having them cut any further. That's really where we start to look at that. And I've had clients who you know, hormone replacement is absolutely an option for some people. Um, a medication like metformin for insulin resistance, a medication like Ozempic, not that these are things that first of all, you're not going to get approved for unless you have a medical need. These are not magic bullets. These are things that are going to fix what is wrong. If there's no 
way that we can do it holistically, let's say. And for some people, there's, there's just not. Um, so I will also say, um, with something like Ozempic and, and we mentioned ghrelin and leptin are the two hunger hormones. So I always remembered it from school is that ghrelin is when you're hungry, when your stomach is growling, there's more of this hormone sent out. And basically it encourages you to eat more. And leptin is the opposite. When you're full, leptin is supposed to come out and say, hey guys, stop the appetite. We're done. But when you are, uh, when you've lost and gained and weight cycled, those hormones are all screwy. So we're not getting the signals. And that's kind of why, like, if, if you've ever lost weight and you think back, like the first diet I went on, why was it, why was that easy? And why can't I do it again? Why can't I lose weight the way I used to? Over time, our body does put these protective mechanisms in place to make it so that you can't keep losing that weight, which your body perceives as, as harm. So what will happen is, especially with like, if I've had a client who have had bariatric surgery, maybe like gastric sleeve or gastric bypass, their hormones are impacted because they're, they've literally lost a section of their body that makes hormones. So something like Ozempic, for example, is like a newer medication that can help override those hormones in a way. And, but even if, if you haven't had any of these surgeries and you're just a chronic dieter, you could pretty bet that like some of the signals are a little bit screwy. So you could overcome, override them. I don't suggest that. We want to get back to, again, like Nicole said, a lot of times it means bringing your calories up to a place where you're getting adequate calories and putting weight loss on the back burner as a goal and coming back to it once we sort of repaired some of that damage. Which also then helps cortisol, right? Because we're not stressing mm -hmm. our bodies out from trying to cut, cut, cut and eliminate. So then mm -hmm. hormones just get happier. We might have to kind of bite our tongue while we're waiting to reach that fat loss goal, but it's actually in the best interest of our bodies. Yes. And cortisol too. It's not like cortisol goes up and down all the time. So it's very hard to measure. And, you know, you can get a cortisol test and it'll probably say that your cortisol is off. But it, I can tell you without getting a test, if you've been trying to under eat for the last, however many people, like five, 10 years, your hormones are off. You're going to benefit from like not focusing on fat loss for a second kind of like let's reset the playing field and then we could get back to it. Um, but yeah, cortisol is something that dips and goes up and down all the time. But if you're doing like five orange theory classes a week and eating 1300 calories, yeah, your cortisol is probably off because you're overworking and underfueling. I'm getting stressed out just thinking about that. Yeah. <laughs> so Alex, before we wrap up, can you just help us to understand we talked about when fat loss is and isn't appropriate. We've talked about how hormones play a role in that. When someone is coming from a really health-promoting place, they're nourished, they're ready to enter a fat loss phase. Can you tell us what to expect? Like, I think diet culture really warps our expectations when it comes to rate of weight loss and duration of fat loss phase. Like, can I diet forever? Can I expect to lose four pounds a week? Like, what realistically? can I expect? Sure. I'd love that question. So uh, from, you know, I'll give you my textbook answer. I'll give you like in practice. So 
typically we recommend no more than half a pound to two pounds per week on average of weight loss. What that means is when you first start, when you first change your intake, you likely will see a couple pounds drop off the first week or so. The reason for that is because you have less food in your body, which takes up less weight on the scale. You may have decreased your carb intake. And with every gram of carbs in our body, we store three grams of water. So not only we have less carbs, we have less water. Um, Maybe you're finally going to the bathroom normally because you're getting adequate fiber. There are so many things that can happen. So like, let's take the first week out of it. Most of that's water anyway. Once you settle into a deficit, on average, half pound to two pounds per week. Two pounds would be the, you know, the higher your starting weight is, the more weight you can lose healthfully. The lower your starting weight is, the lower your rate of weight loss. Um, now, I say average because some weeks you are going to lose nothing, maybe for weeks at a time. Other weeks, you're going to drop three pounds. It doesn't mean that you are necessarily losing nothing until you drop the three pounds. There's just lots of fluid fluctuations that happen in your body that can mask fat loss on the scale. So, and I know, Nicole, you use these things too. There are so many other ways that we can measure progress and they really do matter. And I always tell my clients, the right thing is always the right thing. If you are not losing weight on the scale, especially in the beginning, but we've already, we've identified that your, your nutrition's in check, your movement's in check, you're drinking water, you're getting fiber, you're sleeping. Then we just sit and we wait and we stay patient and consistent and likely we'll see a drop or we'll see changes in pictures, progress pictures, if you're taking them. So typically, you know, people do expect to see linear weight loss and it almost never happens that way. Like rarely, rarely, rarely do I have a client who's losing weight every week. It just, it doesn't typically happen. In some weeks you're going to gain weight on the scale. So that's important to remember. <laughs> um, so expectations, understand that maybe if we say half pound to two pounds per week, that might be two pounds to eight pounds per month on the highest end, two pounds per month can feel like you're not moving. That's when people tend to give up. It's like two pounds. I can go to the bathroom and lose two pounds. But if you're truly changing your habits, you need more than a month of that. So over time, you're going to see a big difference. Um, and trust in the process is such a big part of it. And it's hard to have trust if you're super confused, but that's why if you work with someone they can help you. But if you've really like you've checked off all of those things, then you do kind of have to trust the pro- process and give it time. Um, so that's definitely important. And it's going to be slower than you think. It really is. It's going to be, it's not going to be a month. How long have you been dieting? How long have you been yo-yoing? Take all that amount of time. And like, even if it took the same amount of time to lose it, it's going to be more than a month. So you know, and it's going to take constant pivoting and adjustments and periods where you're not motivated. And then your other question was about like kind of how long you can be in a deficit. Depends on how big your deficit is. I tend to recommend keeping like a more moderate deficit. Um, For some clients, they can go like 12 weeks fine. Other people, eight weeks, I can start to sense that they're kind of getting burnt out. 
and we use what's called like a diet break or just like, and that can look a lot of different ways. For some people, a diet break can be not tracking for a period and not necessarily changing their intake. That's more like a mental break. Other times it's like bringing your calories up a little bit. It tends to like, for my clients, they tend to travel and have like holidays or events. So we have periods where we intentionally raise calories anyway. But if you're going like hard for 12 weeks, I probably encourage you to take a little bit of a break at that point. Just because I find, so obviously it's healthy for your body to take a little bit of a break and not be in a deficit for a prolonged period of time. But also, and you mentioned this mentally, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard. Like just your patient's muscle is so fatigued at that point, mm-hmm. but also just from a compliance standpoint, sometimes I start to see compliance wane a little bit and that's when we'll say, okay, I think maybe we need to loosen up the reins mm-hmm. a little and just create a little diet break, a little bit more flexibility. And then we can return back to the fat loss phase. If there's still weight that the, the client wants to lose. Yes, definitely. But like knowing maybe you're, if you're seeing the scale kind of stay the same for weeks on end and you're doing all the things, could you potentially be at where your body's comfortable too? It's important to assess. Yes. Alex, thanks so much for setting the record straight. I feel like we <laughs> talked about a lot of diet culture myths and really just shared some no-nonsense nutrition truths with our audience today, which is what I'm all about. So this is very refreshing. That's it. Can you tell everybody where they can find you and connect with you online? And if you currently have any coaching opportunities for them to take advantage of? Yes. Thank you. So it's so fun. I love talking about this stuff. Um, you can find me on Instagram. My name is spelled with an I. So Alex with an I, Turoff underscore RD. And if you click that link in my bio, it'll take you to all of the things. So I'm going to make it easy. If you don't have Instagram, alexkaroffnutrition.com is where you can find all of my current offerings and programs. I have group coaching, one-on-one coaching. I have a self-guided program um, and lots of um, free content on Instagram and a recent podcast with Nicole. If you haven't listened to it, that was awesome. Um, And all of those links will be there. Yes. And I will link all of that in the show notes below. So check out Alex on Instagram and make sure that you connect with her. If you have any questions, shoot her a DM. Thank you so much for this conversation. I'm really glad that we got to connect lately. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Health, Wealth, and Wisdom Podcast. If you like what you heard today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and then head on over to nutritioncoachingwithnicole.com where you can sign up for my weekly emails where I send out my favorite tips, tricks, advice, and support every single Monday morning to help you kick your week off right. Thanks for listening. Until next time.